sang about storms and rain and thunder enough that it figured it's going to start trying to come and, uh, and meet us this morning. But listen, we're going to try to go ahead and go right into this time in God's Word together. And um, I think we can beat it. Amen? Amen. We've started this much. We're going to finish it out. But, uh, you know, over the last few weeks at our church, we've been talking about Christ as king. What does that mean? Asking ourselves this question, who is king in our life? Who is king of our situation, of our circumstances? And uh, we've been in the book of Samuel. And, you know, when we prayed and we talked a lot about where we would go for Easter. And I think there's no better place for us to be this morning than to be right where we are. Because leading up to this moment in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we began to talk about the first king of Israel. And the first king of Israel was King Saul. And before that, they had judges, they had these men of God who would speak on behalf of the people. And what we see happen is the people started to look out at all the nations around them and they said, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king like everybody else. We don't want to be different than the rest of the world. We want to function in the way that they function. And so in that time, what happened is God uh, gave in to their plea. He, he, he said, okay, I hear you. I hear what you want. And uh, he said, I'll give you a king. He said, I'll give you a king. And what happened is they gave him a king. But in that, the prophet Samuel told him in 1 Samuel chapter chapter 8, he said, this king is going to require things from you. That the kingdom that this king will usher in, he's going to put burdens on your back. He said, this king is going to draw you into battles and conflicts that you shouldn't be in. This king is going to draw you into these places that are going to cause harm to you, that are going to be weights on you. And what did the people say? They said, we still want that king. We still want that king. And so as we move into today, and it's going to start raining harder, so I'm going to move under the, uh, under the underhang right here. Stay with me. Tune in to 100.1 and you can stay with us. We've already started, so we're going to finish, guys. All right, Rodney Paul, you good with that? We're doing it. We're doing it. Y'all got me still? Y'all hear me? Hit me. There you go. There you go. Are, you, are your speakers okay? All right, we're doing it. Hey, so... Hey, man, you mind grabbing that table for me? So what we got is as we moved into uh, 1 Samuel chapter 9, we began to see King Saul. We began to see that king do things the way that he does things. You know, he started out good, and then as he continued on, what happened is, is that they began to see what it meant for man's king to do what man's king does. We started to see things revealed about himself and what he had planned. Uh, The type of king that Saul was, he was a selfish king. He was a fearful king. He was a king that was worried about people's uh, thoughts about him. He was worried about how things looked. And so in this time, what Samuel did is Samuel came to him and he said, listen, he said, you've lost the kingship. God's going to establish a new king. And so this morning where we pick up, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're also going to be in John chapter 18. You can uh, have those places marked. But what I want us to see is because God is a sovereign God, that even in our mistakes, that even in the bad decisions that we make and the things that we ask for in our life, God is a sovereign God that still has the best intentions for his people, and that he has a kingdom purpose that he's planning to accomplish. 
this morning. And so as we celebrate a risen Savior this morning, if I could subtitle this morning, it would be the King's Kingdom. Because as Christians this morning, we celebrate and rest in the King's Kingdom. Amen? We celebrate and rest in the goodness of a great God, a sovereign God, who speaks on our behalf, who fights our battles for us and with us, and communicates His goodness through how He blesses us and uses God's people around Him. And so the reason this is significant this morning and why this makes so much sense for us to be in Samuel is because as uh, as God was choosing the next king, he would choose King David, the second king of Israel. And some things we need to remember and know about David is that David was basically a nobody. David was uh, the, the eighth son of eight sons. The youngest of those eight sons, he was from a small town and he was a shepherd, a pretty lowly job for those people. And uh, But what we know from Scripture is that Scripture continuously has communicated to us that from David, God has great intentions. That through David, God has things he wants to accomplish. Isaiah 9-7 says, from the throne of David, he will establish his kingdom and he'll uphold it. Isaiah 11-1 says, there shall come from forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, who is David's father, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Jeremiah 23, 15, it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And who is that righteous branch that Jeremiah is pointing to right there? He's pointing to Jesus. He's pointing to a Savior that would come, that would live, that would teach, that would uh, proclaim miracles and, and, and proclaim blessing and, and, and cast out demons. And he would do all these things for his people. But the main thing he did is what we celebrate this morning is that he died on a cross bearing my sin and shame and then rose from the dead to show me and you that death is defeated in him. That when our faith is in Christ, that death is defeated. David points to a new king. When David comes into the kingship of Israel, he points to a new king, and that king is Jesus. And what Christ did on the cross is that he was ushering in a new kingdom culture, which is what we celebrate this morning. That there is a new kingdom that we live in as believers. There is a new culture that we live in. And Jesus communicates this as he comes this morning and as he is revealed to us in John, uh, in the book of John and the Gospels as, as the passion story kind of unfolds. He is changing the covenant between God and man, atoning for the requirements of sin and bearing the punishment meant for every man and woman. John chapter 18, verse 36. I want you to read that with me. If not, I'll read it to you. Verse 36, he says this, he says, in response to Pilate as a standing trial before the people, this is what he says. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus is establishing that in my kingship, in my kingdom, things are different than what you see it as. As the people see it as. And so this morning I want us to see two quick things as we celebrate on this Easter morning. That with the with the, the kingdom of God, with the kingdom of the gospel, there are two things that come with it that we have to grab a hold of and allow to lead, guide, direct us into every situation in our life. As we minister to our families, as we go out into the world and, and draw them into the good Lord uh, through, through the testimony of our hearts. Uh, th there are two things that we can see from the kingship of David and Jesus where they connect and what they want to communicate to us. The first thing is that he has, there is a kingdom perspective that changes with Jesus and with David. In verse, uh, in First Samuel, verse uh, chapter sixteen, verse seven, it says, "For the Lord sees not as man sees. 
And how does man see on outward appearance? There is a perspective that changes when David comes into kingship that carries on and points us to where Jesus is. And we can be faithful that as believers that the way the Lord sees us is not the way that we see each other. You know, because I don't know about you, uh, but we tend to be a little critical of each other, right? We tend to look at people and we would be lying to ourselves if we said anything different. But the moment we look at somebody, we immediately have created a narrative about who that person is based off of how they look, how they've acted, or how they are acting. But what the Lord is communicating to Samuel to communicate to the people as he's searching for the next king, he says, the way the Lord sees is not the way that man sees. You know, Isaiah 55, 8, it says, for my thoughts are not yours, says the Lord. God sees beyond the surface, seeing more than who somebody has been, seeing more than who they are in that moment. The people would never have chosen David as king, being the youngest of eight sons, being a simple shepherd with no experience in true leadership. The people would have never chosen David. But as Samuel's looking over Jesse's sons and he's saying, well, maybe this one, well, maybe this one, the Lord comes to him and says, listen, you're looking at things the way man looks at things, looking on the outside. The way the Lord sees things is differently. Seeing down to the heart, he says. Seeing to the heart, and, and this word heart, as it is communicated in this verse, is speaking of the man's will, of, of the, the, the inside, the, the, the desires of a man, his, his heart, the, the way he's driven, his devotion, his desires. He says, the Lord sees those things, and that even as everything out here looks like it doesn't match up, the Lord sees potential there. The Lord sees goodness there. The Lord sees somebody worthy of something. And Jesus, in establishing his earthly kingdom, revealed this all through the Gospels when he accomplished his task, when he would do miracles, showing that the kingdom of God is different. Because people in situations that, uh, that others would have just cast off, he says the kingdom of God has a place to intervene in that. In Mark chapter 2, the people saw a paralyzed man who could do nothing on his own. What Jesus saw was a man forgiven of his sins with the ability to walk, and Jesus gave it to him. In Mark chapter 7, the people saw a man deaf and mute, but Jesus saw a man with the ability to hear and proclaim the goodness of who God was. That's the way the kingdom of God works. Luke chapter 13, the people saw a woman overtaken by an evil spirit and impeding her ability to get up. And this was all happening on the day of the Sabbath when no one's supposed to do any work. So all the religious people are looking around like, look, there's nothing we can do about that. But what does Jesus do? He steps into the scene and he heals this woman, casts out this evil demon uh, to the point of ridicule from the religious leaders. Why are you doing this on the Sabbath? And Jesus basically tells him, why are you letting religious standards keep you from doing what God has called you to do? And that's to worship God, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we do that by how we live out and share our faith with the people around us. Why are you letting tradition and religion keep you from living out the calling that God has for your life? Mark chapter 1, the people saw a man deemed unclean, untouchable, and marginalized uh, by society with no place. Jesus saw a man worthy of a touch. This man had leprosy. Nobody would have gotten in within 10 feet of this man. He had to walk around uh, the community saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. He had to live outside somewhere else. And what did Jesus do? The Bible tells us in that verse in Mark 1 that he actually reached out his hand and touched the man. Church, the kingdom of God is different. We wouldn't have touched him, but Jesus did. Jesus, see, the perspective of his kingdom is different. 
Mark chapter 6, the people saw a deficit, not enough food for all these people, but Jesus saw more than enough to provide and leftovers. Everybody got to take baggies home. Amen? That's the way we like our meals. John chapter 8, the people saw a woman caught in adultery, worthy of punishment, worthy of, of death. Jesus saw a woman worth intervening for. Jesus saw a woman worth leaning down into the dirt where she was at, beginning to write something and call her accusers to say, he who without sin throw the first stone. And then to be able to have the, the passion and compassion for this woman to lean down and say, is there anyone accusing you now? Neither do I. Church, the kingdom of God does things different. And that is what we celebrate this morning, this Easter morning. Because listen, normal kings don't rise from the, raise from the dead. I don't know any. I don't know if you know any. But normal kings, normal leaders, normal people don't raise from the dead. I promise you when I'm dead, Jake's dead. But the king of kings does. His perspective is different. And the second thing and the last thing this morning is that what comes with a gospel kingdom, what comes with the king of kings kingdom is kingdom influence. Kingdom influence. And John, jumping back to John chapter 18, we're seeing Jesus here as he's going to be crucified. John chapter 18, verse 36. When Pilate is pleading with Jesus, basically, saying, dude, just recant everything you said. Like, I don't find any guilt in you. Like, you've done nothing wrong, but your people have brought you to me. They want me to punish you. But all you have to say is just recant everything you said. He's, trying, he's giving Jesus all these opportunities. And, and, he, and then he speaks to Pilate and he says this. He says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would, be, would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. He says two different things about the kingdom. He says the kingdom is not of the world. He says the kingdom is not of the world, meaning there's nothing like the way that you see things. And then he also says it's not from the world. And so he says the way that I see things and the way that I do things didn't even originate with you. It's not like you and it didn't originate from you. It's something completely different. And that's the kingdom that Jesus is ushering into this moment because what Pilate saw is Pilate saw the cross as an effective tool of shame. What Pilate saw is that his, his death would be the end. That his death, he, he's pleading with Jesus, listen, if, when you die, all this ends. All this dies with you. What Pilate saw was his death was the end. And Pilate saw the grave as finality. That it was all over. The church, we celebrate this morning that the kingdom of Jesus, that there is no end. That there is no finality in death or in the grave. But that there's life. Because what Jesus is saying is that when you win, it is not how I win. What Jesus is saying is that when you find peace, it's not the way that my kingdom finds peace. And he says, the way that you find victory isn't the way that I find victory. My kingdom finds victory in different ways. You know, the interesting thing about Rome is that they would have thought that they knew all the kingdoms. You know, Rome was a conquering kingdom that would have gone and just ravaged people and, and just uh, oppressed people. And so this would have shaken him up to be able to tell them, listen, your kingdom believes that battles are won by army swords and battles, uh, that that measures uh, the strength of the kingdom. 
And, and for a lot of us, we navigate our life in that way. We navigate our life within this kingdom influence uh, that does it in this way that we believe in that our strength accomplishes the victories that we get. That we believe that our goodness gets us closer to God. Or we believe that the, thing, the way that we look or the way that we act is what ultimately brings us before the throne of Christ. And in that, what we're believing in is that based on force, based on pride, based on the love of human praise and the desire for domination and self-interest, that we'll gain victory. But Jesus says, that's not how I gain victory in my kingdom. Jesus says victory is accomplished in the heavenly kingdom, exemplified by Jesus on the cross, based on love, sacrifice, humility, righteousness seems uh, you know, it, it seems foolish to those who don't understand it or want to accept it and it doesn't make sense. You know, the people would have been looking at Jesus as he was hanging on the cross dying and thought to themselves, this is not what a king does. He basically gave himself up. He didn't argue for himself. He let himself be tortured. He let himself be beaten. Not only, you know, the thing we have to understand is they didn't crucify Jesus because he said he was uh, the son of God. They crucified Jesus because he said he was king. You know, later on, a little bit after this, they, he says that we're, we're going to crucify your king. And they say, we have only one king and it's Caesar. They crucified Jesus because he said he was king, because he said he was ruling. When they looked at Jesus as king, they said, this doesn't make sense. This is not what kings do. They don't die a, a punk's death like this. But our king does. Because he has more in mind than just himself. He has a mission and an intention in mind that had to be accomplished through him coming in Philippians 2, uh, verse 7. It says that he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and bore, was being born in the likeness of man. He put on, he put on finality. The infinite put on finality. The righteous put on unrighteousness. The God of the universe stepped down from his throne and put on mankind's way. Because he had a he had a job to accomplish. Because Jesus recognized that the currency of his kingdom is different than the currency that we earn in this kingdom. You know, the currency that we earn in our kingdom is based off of the work that we do. You know, I go to work to earn my currency. You know, we do, uh, we, we, we work hard to have the lifestyles we have. We work hard to have the perspective uh, that we have. You know, we do all of these things. We gain respect through this certain avenue. And it's all about how we look. It's all about how we act. It's all about how we work. But the kingdom of God, the currency of the kingdom of God is different than our currency. Because it is based on love. It's based on mercy and it's based on grace. A grace that you cannot earn and a grace that you do not deserve. But what we see and what we celebrate this morning is that he has given that to us. You know, we said in our Good Friday service that Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the grave, he was taking altars that were made for sacrifice to, uh, for the forgiveness of sins. He was taking altars and transforming them into tables. That it wasn't about sacrifice to earn anything anymore. It was about an invitation to a table to come and feast. To come and take part. To come and enjoy what the kingdom of God has for you. He's made that invitation to all of us this morning. And we celebrate it through the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. God's kingdom currency is love and mercy and grace. Those who have been bought by the blood of Jesus have been given the right to live according to God's kingdom. 
If you're a Christian this morning, you put your faith in Jesus. We have the right, because of what Jesus did on the cross, to live and function in this perspective and this influence of a gospel kingdom, a value system that is different than the world's value system. As citizens of the kingdom of God. And we live here in this world on assignment from our father the king. Living with a kingdom mindset that empowers us to make wiser decisions and to invest our lives in the furthering of the gospel. In your families. In the places where we have influence. The, the best thing that we can do as believers is live in a kingdom mindset that has this currency in mind of love and mercy and humility and grace. Listen, and it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And we see that. We see that right after this in John chapter 18. You know, Pilate tells the people, listen. He's already told Jesus, listen, if you'll just if you'll just pull back on everything you said, you'll be free. Jesus says, you know, I don't function the way that you function. I don't see this as defeat. And so then Pilate comes on one last ditch effort to try to have Jesus released. And he says, listen, during this time, we can release one person. You know, by law, we can release one guilty person. We can let him go. All you have to do is tell me who. And in John chapter 18, verse 40, who did they cry out for? They cry out for a man named Barabbas. And I love how specific the text is in that moment. It says, they called out for Barabbas, release Barabbas. And it says right after that, Barabbas was a robber. Barabbas deserved the punishment. Bar Barabbas deserved the imprisonment. Barabbas deserved everything he would have got by the world's standards. But because Jesus chose to, to bear all the punishment on his own, a robber, a sinner, a, 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 a man who had hurt other people was let go. It's because the kingdom of God works different, church. The kingdom of God sees things different. Whether he deserved it or not, Barabbas was set free because Jesus took his penalty. Church, this morning we can rest in that same work. And that if you leave with anything this morning as I finish up, if you leave with anything this morning, I pray it would be this. That when Christ is your king, things change. When Christ is your king, things change. And it doesn't mean that you're perfect because guess what? Jake's not. And it doesn't mean that things change immediately. Sometimes it's a process. And I thank God for the process that he allowed me to walk through in my life. I thank God for the process that I'm still in. Good Lord. Don't ever feel like because your life isn't to the point of perfection that there isn't a place for you in God's kingdom. Because he says, come. He says, don't come to me after you think you've had all the pieces put together. He says, come to me with the mess. Come to me with all of it broken in pieces and bring it to me. He said, I'll help you put it together. If it takes your entire lifetime, he says, I'll help you put it together. Because the kingdom of God works different. Our king is a patient king. Our king is a loving king. Our king is a king that gives grace and mercy. Our king is a humble king that come as, came as a servant. Our king, ultimately, and the most important thing, is a king that will never die, that is alive today. And because that king alive, is alive today, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was present with his people, he would tell them, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He was telling them that my presence is the very kingdom here with you. And the Bible tells us that whenever Jesus ascended into heaven, that the Holy Spirit came down. 
and that he dwells among us today. And that the kingdom of God is with you as a believer, dwells in you. That it's in you that we carry the kingdom to the people around us. It's within you that we carry the kingdom of God in discipling our kids. It's within you that you carry the kingdom of God to your spouse that has not put their faith in Christ and pray for them diligently. And share the kingdom currency with them, showing them grace, showing them love, showing them mercy. Church, could our currency be of God's kingdom? I believe when we would do that, we would see revival in our, in our homes. We would see revival in our churches. We would see revival in our community because we all desperately want it. But we don't live it because it doesn't make sense to us. It's so hard for us to see it that way. How many of us would have said, listen, all those things I said are not true, not the Son of God, not the King of the Jews, uh, Barabbas is a bad dude, you take him, I'm going to walk free, thanks. We would have. But Jesus didn't. Because his kingdom is different. His perspective and his influence is different. And then I'll leave you with this this morning. You know, the significant thing about Scripture is that, uh, that it uses numbers a lot. You know, and one in every five verses mentions a number. That's a pretty significant amount of numbers mentioned in the Bible. You know, and a lot of people a lot smarter than me have put a lot of study and consideration into those numbers. And knowing that all of those numbers point to and speak to something. The thing about David is that David was the youngest of eight sons. So he was the eighth son. What's significant about the number eight is that the number eight represents new beginnings. David was a new beginning for Israel. And the way that their kingdom functions, and not only in the physicality and the functionality of the kingdom, but also spiritually, that he would be a king that would be after God's heart, that even in his mistakes, egregious mistakes, he would seek the Lord in repentance and continue to lead his kingdom. Being the eighth son of Jesse, David was a new beginning for Israel. Jesus rose from the dead eight days after his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Church, today we celebrate new beginnings for you and me. Today we celebrate new beginnings in Jesus. And those new beginnings may not be easy, those new beginnings may not be quick, but those new beginnings start today. For each and every one of us, if we'll believe it and if we'll receive it, and we'll understand that it's through Christ that we find those new beginnings. That those new beginnings begin. That the kingdom of God begins within me the moment that I put my faith in Christ. That I understand that everything he's done for me is not what I've earned, but what he's given openly. And that there are not altars anymore, but there's tables that he's invited us to. Church, our God is a good God that has called you and invited you to his table. I believe there's a lot of Christians here this morning. And maybe you haven't been walking in this kingdom perspective or influence. I pray that we would begin to do that. That we would begin to expel and to use and to spend the kingdom currency that Christ has so freely and openly given to us with the people around us. And then maybe you haven't. Maybe you come this morning and you're skeptical of all this and it just seems crazy. And, and, and why in the midst of all this time and the threat of rain, why in the midst of all this would you get out and do any of this? Talk about any man that was around a few thousand, a few thousand years ago. Why would it matter? 
It's because what Jesus did is he brought about a kingdom that we desperately need. He brought about a kingdom that I, I, I that I have should have no place in. But he's invited me. And he's invited you. And the Bible says when we're sitting at his table that nothing can take us from. That he says when we are put our faith in him and we are in his hand that nothing can take us from. That the kingdom of God is secure with Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. Church, that's what we celebrate this morning. I pray that you could see that Christ has offered us new beginnings. That Christ conquered evil by letting evil conquer him and giving us victory through self-giving love. That's the way God's kingdom works. I pray that we could be, first off, praying that we could be those people living in that kingdom currency, giving away that kingdom currency that we've so freely and openly been given, but also be walking and seeing people in that perspective and living with that influence. That we serve that good of a God and that God's invited you to his table. I just want to pray for us and we'll be done this morning. Father God, I thank you for all your goodness. God, I thank you for what we celebrate here this morning, that you are a good God, a sovereign God that has given himself up for us, that you have good intentions for us. Lord, that even when you allow us to step into the stupid things that we walk into, Lord, that you've given us a path. Lord, that you tell us if we'll acknowledge you, you'll make our path straight. God, that if we will give ourselves to you, Lord, that you have a place for us at your table. That you have kingdom currency to give to us. God, and I pray that as Christians this morning, that we would begin to give out that kingdom currency to the people around us. Lord, allow us to give that away freely and openly without any expectation. Let us see people the way you see people. God, let us stop assessing people by how they look. Lord, let's stop assessing people by their opinions. Lord, help us to see people, as your word calls them, people made in the image of God. That every man and woman and child is worthy of the kingdom currency that you've given us. God, give us the perspective that you have. God, give us the influence that you have. Father, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' holy name, amen.